part two of our podcast with Colonel Justin Reese and Major Jason Young from the Joint Multinational Readiness Center. And sir, you mentioned when you, you know, for the lawyer, when they arrive, go around and meet the staff sections. And you know, to your question, Colonel Albert, um, what, I, what I do going into a brigade or coming here is I, I find the sections that I know the least about. And I just go to them and I say, hey, I'm the new lawyer. Tell me about how you do your job. Or, you know, coming here, I got lucky and we have a really sharp uh, engineer officer who's now the three, Colonel Hens. And he, I just said, hey, can you teach me about mines? And he pulled up, uh, you know, an FM or um, some kind of technical manual. And he just walked me through, like, almost every mine system we have in the Army, uh, what their capabilities were, what their compositions were, how they were deployed. And so just getting some people who can do that for you really opens it up. Because now you realize, I'm not just giving a legal opinion on a mine, I'm giving a legal opinion on can this be an aerial delivered, persistent, uh, anti-personnel landmine, right? Like you understand how that is broken down into its parts, and then you can see, okay, what, what legal authority do I have to go to? Am I going to the anti-personnel mine ban treaty? Um, am I going to uh, you know, some other source like U.S. policy on the uh, ban on the use of persistent landmines? You know, how do you break that out? And so I think it's really important for the lawyer to, you know, to not be arrogant and to demonstrate some humility because those other staff sections normally get excited if a lawyer comes to them and says, hey, I don't know anything about what you do. Will you sit down and teach me? Uh, and I think some of it is because then they, they have a lawyer that owes them a favor. <laughs> well, there, yeah, and the other side of that is uh, there's an expectation, especially in a brigade, that you're coaching at Echelon as well. You're advising assistant and commander. In a lot of ways, you're doing the same thing for your battalion or squadron commanders. But, you know, inside, for example, like an armored brigade, armored brigade combat team where there's 37 company troop and battery commanders who have UCMJ authority for the first time in their career, you know, you're not just advising and assisting, you're developing those officers as well. As you should, a field grade talking to a company grade officer. The company grade officer with the 600-20 authority still owns a decision, but you're, you're helping them through how to think through that process and, and sometimes helping them understand the impact of their decision or their recommendation to their, their commander and helping them understand what authorities and options they have at that echelon so that if it's appropriate, they use it to modify that service member's behavior at, that, at the lowest echelon possible. And in that way, you know, you won't have a set of circumstances where everything involved in it, every one of your soldiers is a battalion level field grade where the brigade commander's the appeal authority because the company troop and battery commanders are just pushing it all up and they're, and they're not employing the authorities they have um, to attempt to modify that behavior if it's, uh, if it's appropriate. And sir, before we, we start, started again, we, we talked a little bit uh, you just talked about lower echelon and how the BJA can be used to develop. Um, but what about when you look higher, right? Like the brigade judge advocate with his technical channel and the deputy and the SJA, uh, and then the brigade commander talking to the deputy and the SJA. Can you uh, kind of expand on your views with that, that level of uh, echelon? Well, you expect the dialogue 
and relationship to be pretty tight between ESJ and the BJ. Um, there's a lot of stuff moving between those two echelons. Um, going and gentlemen, just to clarify, down. you're talking the brigade level to the division level, right. so the SJ is at the division level. Yeah, yeah the, the division level and the brigade level. So, the, you know, the expectation is that relationship is positive and it's professional and it's, uh, and it's pretty tight um, because of how much will move back and forth between the brigade and division and the impact that's going to have on your service members. Um, and the units that they're associated with. The brigade commander is always going to touch base with the uh, SJA at the division level. I don't know how you could get through 24 months and not run across something where you are touching base with them. And it could be for a number of reasons, and it's not, and none of those reasons should make a brigade level judge advocate question trust or question their own abilities. You know, those reasons might be this is the first time your brigade's encountered this. And so the brigade commander might want to touch base with the SJA and see how this problem or dynamic or issue or challenge looks across the rest of the division because the SJA is in a position to see the entire, you know, 18 to 20,000 troops of the division and, and he's probably seen this before. The other thing the uh, division level judge advocate can provide you is he can provide you some idea of precedence when it comes to the division commander. Um, can kind of help you um, mature your recommendation for a division commander in a, in a way that the brigade level judge advocate cannot because he doesn't have those insights with the division level commander. Uh, to me, it's a very similar dynamic that occurs between the judge advocate at the brigade level the brigade commander and the battalion commanders. There are times that uh, battalion commanders, although they got um, their their uh, their legal folks assisting them on a daily basis, they're going to want to talk to the major because again, it might be the first time the battalion commander's seen this, and that major has probably seen it a half dozen times across the brigade. Um, so it'll help give them some sense of uh, maybe the process or a precedence if one's been established and just help that battalion commander or squadron commander just kind of navigate that challenge that they're facing. Is that unique to the legal section or do you see that across? No, I think, that's a, I think that occurs in every staff section inside a brigade. Um, they all have a, there's a, a division counterpart for it and, uh, and while you have your daily or battle rhythm touch points with those folks on your brigade, when you have a question or want to make a point of emphasis as a brigade commander, you're, you're going to talk to the staff officer at division for many of the same reasons, to get an idea or a sense of how does this look across the division. I mean, especially if it comes to Manning, you might go to the Division G1 and say, like, you know, hey, I'm short this warrant officer. I can't seem to get one, no matter how hard I try. And they can simply tell you, yeah, we're at 30% across the division. They're just not here. You know, so that's for you a perspective um, across the, from where they sit. And they can see a much larger um, formation that you're a part of. Um, and so you obviously, you know, have an interest in how, the, how your higher headquarters and, and the unit you're in um, looks at Echelon. So one of the more you know, off-topic conversations we've had is, uh, you know, about counterproductive leadership 
but in relation to the, uh, the interaction between the BJA and the commander, uh, this idea of using your BJA as a sensor came up between us. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how your BJA through those interactions with the 37 uh, company battery troop commanders, the seven battalion commanders, you know, EO rep, sharp rep, how that can help inform or uh, commander to adjust course? No, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of your sensors inside a, a military organization um, because your BJA is seeing things, even if it's just at a statistical level, that a brigade commander will never see. You'll see things that occur at the company troop battery level that unless it's elevated, you know, for a number of reasons, but unless it's elevated to battalion to brigade, the brigade commander will never be aware of um, a pattern of misconduct or, or misconduct occurring at a much greater frequency in one company versus another. Um, if, if that is not captured by the BGA and, and brought up in meaningful terms to the, to the commander. So when it comes to good order and discipline and you know, in various forms of misconduct, the BGA is absolutely essential to getting some of those things to a, to a commander. You know, when you think about the various sensors you have inside of a brigade, you know, your chaplain, your, your sharp rep, your EO rep, I mean, the, uh, the judge advocate's right up there on, on having access to echelons below a brigade commander to help him see that part of his formation. And which way it's trending, um, you know, could be good news. You know, it's okay to, <laughs> it's okay to come back with positive findings, but, uh, you know, and, and you'll see that every, just about everything resides within a band of excellence, and, and you can have... You know, in my experience, the 60 days leading up to an NTC or JRTC or deployment, you, you know, you see a spike in all kinds of misconduct, and that pattern is generally confirmed um, through the BJA. You know, then you go and you come back, and those things tend to fall back into the norm. Um, I think you have to be looking for that stuff. You already are as a brigade judge advocate, whether you know it or not. You're, you're getting those... Uh, those inputs and metrics, and I think capturing that and showing it to the to the commander is a is a great way to help him see that part of his formation. So yeah, I'll have one last question here to follow up on that. Uh, early on, you know, we talked about trust, and and we discussed sometimes I'm going to bring you stuff that's not for your action, uh, but it's more for you to help me, like coach me, so then I can go out and and help coach, you know subordinates. Uh, and so if I see those indicators, I can bring them to you, I can discuss them with you, and then you can help me lay out a course of action without necessarily you getting involved or overreacting or putting the screws on someone. So we, we've developed that level of trust where some of those conversations can, can occur where, where then you're exerting informal leadership kind of through me to help cut off those indicators before they become brigade level commander problems and just curious if you had any additional thoughts on that you wanted to offer. I, well, I think that's important. You know, if, uh, if I have a subordinate unit that has a problem with awards, I'm probably going to talk to my S1 at the brigade level first to try to assist them 
navigate their way out of that challenge. Or because that is not legal stuff, I might just go straight to a subordinate commander. Your ability to go down there and, uh, and help communicate to them things they may take into consideration or, or options available to them based on their authorities that they may or may not have thought about um, to get after a certain problem set is, uh, is extremely beneficial and helpful in, in more than uh, one or two ways. One, it allows me to you know, command, continue to command in a formal and informal manner through my subordinate commanders and my staff and just just as I use the command SAR major through the NCO channels. And two, it puts you in a position where you are building trust at echelon. And it's not, you know, coming into a brigade focused only on establishing and building trust with the brigade commander. But you're, you know, the challenge for you is as a legal advisor, you really need to build that trust at echelon um, throughout that formation so that you are a sought after for your expertise, advice, and counsel as these nav um, commanders navigate command. And I think that, you know, one of the outcomes of that dynamic is that, uh, one, it, it creates a more cohesive team, fights against counterproductive behavior at Echelon, and, uh, and two, it incorporates the entire legal team into the structure of the organization as not the place where you're going to go to encounter friction, but as the place you want to go to help navigate your organization or one of your service members through a challenge they may be facing. Yeah, solve solve problems, sir. Like my motto is the brigade judge advocate was find problems, solve problems. And you just depicted the, you know, or described a brigade legal section where everyone in the organization realizes that they're they're not the people who say no, but they're the people that solve your problems. Right, and you, it's a different kind of busy, but you will be, you know, I mean, the utilization rate of a legal office in a BCT is extraordinary. And, and you'll never have enough people or enough hours in a day, you know, to get at it all. Um, you know, so you have to be able to spread some of that out amongst the commanders at Echelon. But we have to ensure that they've been properly prepared, they have uh, the facts, and, uh, and they, they know that they can access you um, for counsel throughout the process. Is, is there a leadership element to this? We talk a lot about the brigade judge advocate, but it's a brigade, and then we mentioned the brigade legal section. In order to do it right, it, any leadership value in, in that legal team? They, they have to be a leader. I mean, I don't even think that's uh, negotiable. He, is, he or she, as a brigade judge advocate, is responsible for a certain number of officers and SEALs and soldiers under their purview. Um, the expectation, you know, well, I can speak for myself, and I'm, I'm pretty confident I'm speaking for the Army, is that is also a cohesive team built on trust. Um, so they do have a leadership responsibility, you know, as the brigade judge advocate for those that are in their purview. And that's not just, uh, you know, and that ranges everything from finding ways to recognize and celebrate the accomplishments and achievements of the members of their team to include their dependents. Um, 
that's also carrying the responsibility of ensuring none of them, none of them suffer in silence or face adversity alone at the same time. So there's a, there's a leadership responsibility for the brigade judge advocate that's consistent with leaders of any um, staff section or organization, I think, in the Army. Jason, Colonel Reese, any parting thoughts? Well, sir, thanks for having us on the, the Clamo podcast, uh, the Quill and Sword, uh, here to talk about Commander-BJ relationships. Um, parting thoughts to, to Brigade Judge Advocates, uh, especially is I know you will get overwhelmed or you will be focused on military justice because that is good order and discipline is the base of any effective fighting force. But you also have to be looking towards the future and be reminded that uh, brigade combat teams are designed to fight and win in ground combat. So you have to think about the law of armed conflict and how you can prepare early because if the first time you think about LOAC is in the fight, it's too late. Your commanders and your staff are not prepared uh, to go into that fight. No, I, I definitely appreciate this opportunity um, to talk some of these relationship dynamics um, between two critical components of, uh, of any Army organization, the command component and the legal advisory team. Um, and, it's a, uh, and it's a powerful dynamic when it's a, a dynamic that's built on trust amongst professionals that, that look out for the organization in the context of the Army while taking care of the service members. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate that. Just one last, um, one last piece that kind of goes with uh, my last conversation of a brigade judge advocate as a leader, because I, I, that's my fundamental going in position, whether you're a brigade S1, S3, or brigade judge advocate is that you're an army leader, um, especially when you're carrying field grade rank inside a brigade. I mean, it's just, that's kind of it, right? And, uh, and, you know, so you can't just be focusing on moving caseload through that formation um, to get things to an adjudication state, but you can't lose sight of there's folks on your team that are looking up to you as a leader. And, and you have an obligation to provide them that leadership they deserve. Gentlemen, thank you for your thoughtful insight. I'm certain your comments will inspire the brigade legal sections listening and better prepare aspiring command legal advisors. For our audience, please follow The Quill and Soar on your favorite podcast platform and be on the lookout for our next weekly episode. By following The Quill and Sword, audience members will access all the podcast content from the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School including Criminal Law Presents, National Security Law Unscripted, Fred Talks. Stay ready. The views expressed or implied on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the United States Army JAG Corps or other organizations with which the participants are associated or by whom they are employed.